you on. I'm on Tonight on Ithaca Now. Look, there goes the game. As the police are still investigating the possible hate crime on Cornell's campus, community leaders are calling for change. If we continue to do the same things that we've been doing for decades, we're going to get the same results. But it's really hard to do things differently because people don't know how to. WICB visited the first Cornell Science on Tap event, featuring beer, research, and sea creatures frozen in glass. Actually, everyone is capable of science, and everyone does science on a day-to-day basis. So when Tisha came to GWIS and said, oh, I had this like, new event that like we want an uh, uh, organization to promote, I thought this is very aligned with our values, making science more accessible to everyone. We'll take you through the history of two festivals in Ithaca. There were so many musicians just in our neighborhood that you you could practically have a festival. Then and there we thought we'd call it Porch Fest. And A. Van Jordan, the husband of Ithaca College's ninth president, tells us his experience in poetry and academia. It caught me off guard. I was like starting to well up and tears were coming out of my eyes. And um, it was the first time I ever had that experience of any kind of art in my life. All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. Good evening and welcome to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Amanda Chin, and thank you for joining us. For tonight's show, we will talk to A. Van Jordan, an award-winning poet, visiting professor for Ithaca College, and husband of IC President Shirley Collado. We'll also take a closer look at the Cornell hate crime that took place a few weeks ago. But first, we'll turn to Sarah Horbakowitz and Jade Hazard with this week's Community Beat. Najee Green was found guilty of second-degree murder this past Thursday in a retrial regarding the stabbing of Ithaca College student Anthony Nazaire. Nazaire was killed last August after a fight broke out on Cornell's campus. This verdict comes after the initial trial in June had a deadlocked jury. Sentencing is set for November 6th with the recommended sentence of seven years for assault and 25 to life for the murder conviction. The district attorney expects the defense to appeal the conviction. On Wednesday the 27th, hundreds of Cornell University students, faculty, and members of the Ithaca community participated in a Take a Knee rally on the Art Squad. The protest was organized after the national protests that are currently taking place within the NFL. The protest also comes after a recent assault of a black student on the Cornell campus, which is currently under investigation. Former Tompkins County Sheriff's Deputy Jeremy Van was sentenced to jail time this past Thursday after being convicted of second-degree coercion and fourth-degree tampering with a witness. Van was initially sentenced to 30 days in jail and a three-year probation period, but after an appeal, he was released on a $10,000 bail. The Ithaca Police Department found that the suspicious package left at the West Seneca Street Planned Parenthood was safe. On Monday, at around 2 p.m., the Planned Parenthood called the Ithaca Police and Fire Department when a package was left at the facility. The Ithaca Police Department Canine Dog and Hazardous Materials Team examined the package. The Police and Fire Department left the scene at around 5 p.m. after fully investigating the situation. Grainful, a fresh produce company with roots local to Ithaca, is one of six winners of the National Chobani Competition. This will allow them to take part in a four-month food educational program as well as receive a $25,000 grant to help grow their business. 
This weekend marked the kickoff to the 35th annual Great Downtown Ithaca Apple Festival. At the festival, there were over 100 vendors selling unique apple-related food and drink. There was also a fall craft show on Cayuga Street featuring over 60 artisans selling their handmade goods. Visitors could also enjoy local entertainment while exploring all that downtown Ithaca has to offer during the festival. For Sarah Horbakowitz, I'm Jade Hazard, WICB News. The racial controversy at Cornell University continues after a student of color was assaulted on campus. WICB News Director Peter Champelli was able to speak with the director of the Multicultural Resource Center in Ithaca about community reactions and how systematic changes are necessary. Can you tell me what your reaction was when you first heard about the assault? Yeah, so my reaction was not, I wasn't shocked about it. Um, I, I think it was very disturbing. This is Fabina Colon. Fabina Benitez Colon. The director of the Multicultural Resource Center in Ithaca. So the Multicultural Resource Center is a small nonprofit organization that has been in this community for now 30 years. I asked her how she personally reacted when she heard the news that a black Cornell student was assaulted and called the N-word by a group of white students on Friday, September 15th. It was basically an, an opportunity to, I think, open the eyes of folks that are not aware that this actually happens here in Ithaca and it happens more often than people think. And so I have been in this community for um, over 20 years and I have definitely experienced various incidents similar um, to what happened on campus. First, let's backtrack. For context of the situation, we'll play part of last week's story, where I talked to Nick Bogleburrows, the city editor of the Cornell Daily Sun, about what happened with the assault. On September 15th, uh, early on that Friday morning, police responded to Eddy Street in College Town at about 1.30 in the morning uh, and arrested uh, a Cornell student. Um, the uh, victim uh, told me... Nick says the victim of the assault was near his house around 1.30 a.m. after a party. Um, and was coming back to his house and saw a group of people who he didn't recognize, who he knew didn't live there, um, arguing with his friends and kind of shoving them at one point. And uh, as they're leaving, uh, they uh, yell expletives and uh, the N-word at uh, this student who is uh, uh, black and a junior at Cornell. After the victim Um, heard the racial slurs, he confronted the group and told them to say it to his face. According to the student, uh, a group of four or five white men began punching him in the face. This student was arrested. And Mayor Savante Myrick confirmed soon after to Nick that, that they, they were, were investigating uh, a possible hate crime in College Town in which a, a black student had said he was uh, called the N-word and, and assaulted. The assault is still being investigated by the police as a possible hate crime. Now, back to Fabina. She's the director of the Multicultural Resource Center, which does a lot of programs and initiatives to fight for racial justice in Ithaca. And currently we do a lot of uh, community organizing work, and we also run a lot of Um, projects and partnerships around racial justice. So some of the recent ones that we had going on was the new Jim Crow Community Book Read, which was a community-wide opportunity to basically build awareness of mass incarceration um, and basically systemic racism and why there there are so many 
predominantly black and brown people in our prisons. So some of the action steps that came out of that um, was looking at our own um, local jail, right? And getting people to think about like, how do we introduce or support alternatives to incarceration programming uh, that is actually community, community led. And she says that she and many other activists around Ithaca had a few immediate reactions when the news of the assault broke. She said that she was disturbed, but not necessarily surprised. Groups like Black Students United at Cornell called for a change from the Cornell administration. And Fabina immediately began thinking of the long-term response. I think that a lot of the immediate kind of responses uh, end up being very band-aid approaches, right? These are like short-term solutions, and these are some things that a lot of organizations, including institutions such as schools, universities, know how to do very well. We need to do things differently. But what does that different solution look like? It seems like with all of these pervasive, all-encompassing issues like climate change and racial discrimination alike, Activists advocate for a different, bigger solution. And Fabina says that the solution that Ithaca and the rest of the world needs to take on is real systemic change. Systemic change is a long-term solution, and it's, it requires uh, diverse ideas coming together. Um, I don't have the answer to bring about effective systemic change unless I'm able to come together with our communities to, like, envision what our liberation looks like because it it's tied to one another's. Fabina says that every institution needs to do real systemic change through looking at everyday processes and by looking at every part of their system with a close eye. Um, what that actually looks like is really looking at our processes. Who's at the center of the work that we're doing? Whose voices are we prioritizing? If we continue to do the same things that we've been doing for decades, we're going to get the same results, Right. Um, many people keep saying this, but it's really hard to do things differently because people don't know how to. Um, and we need to pave the way together. This applies nationally and specifically to Cornell. This assault is the second instance of racial discrimination on Cornell's campus this academic year alone. And that's part of the reason why student groups and local activists are calling for change from the administration. I asked Fabina what advice she had for first steps that Cornell can take. It would be a great opportunity to bring together, you know, the the vast resources that exist in our community. And I'm talking about human resources, right? Um, There are many people in this community that have been doing work uh, around systems change, that are doing work around uh, culture shifting. Institutions need to look at the resources that exist in their communities and tap into them um, rather than bringing maybe outside like expertise. Fabina understands that systemic change is difficult and figuring out how to approach it is confusing. But she says that for addressing Cornell's issues and these issues of oppression as a whole, systemic change is the only way. For WICB News, I'm Peter Cempelli. The Science on Tap series is a monthly event where community members can get informed about the latest research and technology updates at Cornell University. The series hopes to provide a laid-back but educational setting for attendees. WICB correspondents Elena Peach and Bridget Bright have the details. Okay, so let's please welcome Drew Harbaugh. With freshly poured beers in hand and a venue left to standing room only, 
Dr. Drew Harvell, a professor of ecology and biology at Cornell University, begins her presentation on tiny glass sea creatures. That art is an amazing vehicle for inspiring and translating about nature. And this is something that I've been learning along the way as I've done this project because... So how many people here are actually scientists? Harvell was the first speaker for Science on Tap, a new monthly event designed to make the happenings at Cornell University more accessible to members of the Ithaca community. The free event is typically held on the last Wednesday of every month at North Star's Casita del Polaris. The event is open to community members of any age and educational background, and people who are over 21 can purchase an alcoholic beverage. The beer, the bar, and the informal setting make for an atypical learning experience. Tisha Bohr is a postdoctoral researcher at Cornell University and the founder for Ithaca's Science on Tap series. Bohr says she got the idea for the event because she really wanted, wanted to start bringing the faculty at Cornell down into the Ithaca community and exposing people to relatable scientific um, role models and also allowing people to get an idea of the kind of research that's going on at Cornell. The event was held in conjunction with Graduate Women in Science, or GWIS. Michelle Kelly is the website chair for GWIS, and she says she was excited when Bohr approached the group about hosting this event. Kelly is a third-year PhD student at Cornell who believes science just isn't thought of to be accessible to all uh, the whole population. Actually, everyone is capable of science, and everyone does science on a day-to-day basis. So when Tisha came to GWIS and said, oh, I had this like, new event that like we want an uh, organization to promote, I thought this was very aligned with our values, making science more accessible to everyone. Drew Harvell is an ecology and biology professor. And she's the curator for the Cornell Collection of Blaschka Invertebrae Models. Harvell was the first speaker for the series, and she spoke about her research on ocean biodiversity and about her book, A Sea of Glass, Searching for the Blaschka Fragile Legacy in an Ocean at Risk. In case the name Blaschka doesn't ring a bell, Harvell says Leopold and his son Rudolf were um, master glass craftsmen that produced over 10,000 models of glass marine animals. Harville has a strong background in marine biology, and she discovered her love for the Blaschka glass models after starting to oversee Cornell's collection. After she got more and more interested, she decided that she wanted to find sea creatures now that matched the ones in the Blaschka glass. Um, well, I was talking about our project called A Sea of Glass. That's a topic of a book that I've re- recently written and a film that we've produced uh, searching for the matches to the Blaschka glass. Uh, I'm the curator of Cornell's collection. We have over 570 models. Uh, that were made 150 years ago, and um, I'm going back and looking to find the matches uh, in today's oceans to see how they're faring. And Harville wants to use this medium as a way to inform others about changes in the ocean. Well, what I love about this project is it's about uh, both glass and biology, and um, I have as many people that work that love glass that are interested as biologists. And for me, what's really important is I can use this collection to awaken interest in the biology and the living organisms because my passion is the ocean and the conservation of living biodiversity. Another person who attended the inaugural Science on Tap event was David O. Brown, who worked with Harville to produce a 30-minute documentary titled Fragile Legacy. This documentary covered Harville's search for these modern-day living creatures. Brown first learns about this glass work after finding a squid in a glass case at Cornell's Herbert F. Johnson Museum of Art. At first, Brown thought this was a live creature, but then he learns it was a piece made by the Blaschkas. 
He began researching the craftsmen, and then he went to a science cabaret at an old cafe downtown. It was there that Brown learns about Harvell's research. He approached Harvell and said he wanted to make a documentary about her search. Uh, it's really interesting. As a marine filmmaker, it's easy to get people excited about a shark or a whale, something big, something that bites something, something that jumps out of the water and makes a big splash. That's easy. Get them to think about a half-inch long nudibranch. Most people say, what's a nudibranch? If you don't know what a nudibranch is, it's a teeny colorful creature that is like a sea slug with gills. That's okay. We didn't know either. Still, Brown says it's important for people to learn about these creatures and glass models. If they even go get that far, their eyes will glaze over. They just don't really pay attention to a lot of the little things. And this is an opportunity to get people to really slow down and take a look at the little things because for whatever reason, uh, people like things that are made by people. And these glass models are made by people and they're made exquisitely. Yet, it wasn't just about the glass and the sea creatures. Brown also enjoyed working with Harvell. Working with Dr. Harvell is a blast. That's the only way to put it. Uh, she is one of the most interesting uh, and engaging human beings on the planet. She, she's pretty much unflappable, which is great in the field. Uh, she's done more than her share of field work, and consequently, she can handle whatever comes down the pike. Um, and she always maintains her sense of humor. And we've just had a ball doing this. That's another thing Tisha Bohr likes about the series. Attendees get to know the personality of a scientist, as opposed to viewing them as a strictly academic person. I think Drew, Dr. Harwell, um, did a very good job at interacting with people and giving a good talk and an engaging talk, and also um, showing her personality and how, how unique she is. And, um, and that's really how we scientists are. We're unique individuals, and, and we're all very diverse. Vohr says the audience members were engaged and asked questions to Harville. But the majority of the crowd seems to be people in their mid to upper 20s. Kelly hopes G-Wiz can broaden their audience in the future Science on Tap events. I am very happy with the number of the turnout for tonight's event. I wish, I, from just, uh, just from a glance, I think there were more academics and more scientists even. I've been like put, putting posters uh, downtown, but trying for the subsequent events, trying to reach out to the more general community to really bridge the gap between um, science that's being conducted at Cornell in the general community in, of the Ithaca area. Keeping in mind that this is just the first event, Bohr says that she is pleased with the turnout. As for Harvell, she says she was honored to be the first speaker at the Science on Tap series. Oh, what an incredible honor. This is an awesome series. What a beautiful venue. I think we all had a great time, partly just because it was such a comfortable, uh, great place. Um, but it was also very nice to be able to talk about ocean biodiversity and conservation in the context of the inspiration from art. Bohr eagerly awaits next month's event in hopes the momentum continues with future events. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting talks that are coming. So next month we're going to have um, a professor in aerospace engineering who is going to give a talk about how to build your own spacecraft and democratizing um, space travel. So that should be really exciting. Um, and then in future months we have talks ranging from vaccines and stem cells and in, in, immunology to um, soft robotics and um, studying the evolution of the universe. So um, it should be quite interesting. Science on Tap will occur on the last Wednesday of every month, besides December, at North Star's Casita del Polaris. More information on the series can be found on Graduate Woman in Science's Facebook page.
For Elena Peach, I'm Bridget Bright, WICB News. This past weekend, it was Applefest. However, if you were in the Fall Creek or Northside neighborhoods last Sunday, you probably heard local musicians performing on several porches. WICB correspondent Hannah Bracinger gives us a taste of Ithaca's 11th annual Porch Fest. Last Sunday, I stood in a crowded driveway on North Cayuga Street, with the blazing sun hitting my shoulders and the sound of funk music soothing my soul. Behind me, a group of kids were climbing the branches of a tree, and in front of me, a man was shaking a baby rattle to the beat of the music while holding his newborn. The band, Arthur B. and the Planetary Mix, filled the streets with the lively, energetic sounds of R&B. Everyone was singing, grooving, and dancing along to them. This is Porch Fest, Ithaca's annual celebration of local music. Every year, community members and music lovers alike gather to listen to the hundreds of bands that spend all day playing on their driveways and porches and filling the streets of Ithaca with their music. Who's complaining about the weather? Porch Fest is an event celebrated in at least 60 other cities in the U.S. and Canada, but its roots began right here in Ithaca. Ten years ago, the beloved festival started from a conversation between Leslie Green and her neighbor, Gretchen Hildreth. I'm Leslie Green, and I'm co-founder and co-organizer of Porchfest. Okay, awesome. Leslie is originally from Maryland, but she moved to Ithaca to attend college and never left. I asked her how the idea for Porchfest was originally conceived, and she took me back to 2007. Porchfest started uh, on a, a like unusually warm spring day when my husband and I sat on our front steps in the Fall Creek neighborhood and and played ukulele and Gretchen our neighbor and friend walked by and we got to talking about how we all really liked music outside and then more than that that there were so many musicians just in our neighborhood that you, you could practically have a festival um, and then and there we thought we'd call it Porch Fest. Uh, and then for like the next bunch of months, whenever we'd see each other, we would say, we really need to do this thing. And then we did. And Porch Fest spread like wildfire. In its first year, about 20 bands performed, which were mostly composed of people that Leslie and her friends knew. The next year, that amount doubled. And this past Sunday, over 180 bands performed at the festival. The festival also spread to different locations. Today, Leslie is happening across the continent, and she thinks there's a lot of others she doesn't yet know about. There are porch fests near the suburban Maryland neighborhood where I grew up, which is shocking to me. And I just got a request for information about how to do a porch fest from the, like, Bay Area town that my dad has recently moved to, um, and then just from so many, so many states are having porch fests all over the place, and in Canada, it's big in Canada. Leslie is an Ithaca resident and a musician who sometimes plays in porch fest herself. I asked her what role she thinks the festival plays in both the music and residential community. I think... What's great about it is that it's um, it, the basic idea is musicians playing for their neighbors, and it's the 
it's the neighborhood getting out out of their houses, walking around, seeing what each other is up to, you know, seeing the talents that, that they didn't know that their neighbors had um, and the incredible range of, of musical styles that, you know, just in this little town are represented. Um, so um, it feels good. It feels like a very... Uh, it, an event that brings together the community and feels good. Porchfest attendees agree with Leslie, including Kathy Richmond, who lives out of town, and her son Glenn, who lives right in Ithaca. It means a lot to me. Yeah? I, I love Porchfest. What do you love about it? Uh, the fact that I live right in Fall Creek, and I can walk around a few blocks from my house and see more amazing music than I could ever wish to see. He invites me down every year, and I've made it dull. Maybe this is the third year. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. And it's um, sometimes we walk around town, and other times we just sit on his porch, and the world passes by, and it's wonderful. I live out in the country, and often think that I need a second place, a flat in Africa, to just sit and watch the culture and the people, and just participate in, in the dynamics of the community. Fall Creek Brass Band was technically at my house. And they blocked off the street, and they had a few hundred people there, and it's amazing. The future for Porch Fest is unclear. The festival could continue to grow gradually, die down in the coming years, or expand astronomically. Regardless of where it's headed, the festival serves as a reminder to us all that little ideas can reach communities nationwide. For WICB News, I'm Hannah Bracinger. We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear from A. Van Jordan, an award-winning poet and visiting IC professor. You're listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. Hi, I'm Dylan. I'm a freshman in college. I wrestle, and I'm a volunteer firefighter in Tompkins County. Real people, real heroes. All Tompkins County Fire Departments outside of Ithaca are staffed 100% by volunteers. To find out how you can join and train to be a firefighter, an emergency medical technician, or support staff, contact your local fire station or go to volunteertompkins.org. A message from the Volunteer Fire Departments of Tompkins County. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Amanda Chin. A. Van Jordan, award-winning poet and husband of Ithaca College's ninth president, has had a few major changes in his life during the past year. WICB News Director Peter Champelli was able to sit down with A. Van Jordan to talk about his transition to Ithaca and his successful career. I wanted to ask first, can you uh, introduce yourself and just tell me a little bit about um, who you are and, um, and what you do? That is the hardest question, <laughs> Peter, I have to tell you. So my name is A. Van Jordan, and uh, I'm a poet. Uh, I'm on faculty, um, a Robert Hayden uh, collegiate professor at the University of Michigan and also visiting distinguished professor here at Ithaca College. Okay. And uh, my biggest title is I'm also the husband of Shirley Collado. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the process um, from your perspective of her getting the job and uh, what it was like for you? So we um, found out about uh, a few of her nominations for the job first. 
and it it caught us by surprise. Um, I was already in the process of returning to the University of Michigan, and we were looking at um, the possibility of uh, an opportunity for her that was not far away. And so when this came up, it was a, a surprise, but a pleasant surprise because it was uh, something that was kind of on our list of things that we would like to do ideally in the future. And uh, it just came sooner than we had expected. And so um, when we found out that it was Ithaca, uh, we were uh, even more excited about it and thought, well, for IC, we we might have to reconsider this, uh, this this former plan we had. And um, once we got to campus, I got to meet some of the students, got to um, meet the faculty. It was a it was a no brainer on my parts. Yeah. Awesome. Could you tell me about the the day you found out? I mean, any information I guess you're allowed to give. Um, can you tell me about the day you uh, and uh, President Quayle found out about the job and just what what that was like? Um, well, it's not it's not really I cinematic. Not, okay. you know? yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's like we just sort of she got these nominations and and those nominations. Uh, they basically come in email. Okay. So it's it's not that dramatic. Was there a moment where it was like, we woo, it's happening. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. We were we were really excited. That's and, awesome. and like I said, it was it was something that was on our list, but we did not expect it to happen at this point on the timeline. Mm, wow. Yeah. Um and could you tell me about what the past couple months have been like, uh, from your perspective of her um starting her job? It's here? been busy. Yeah, so that's that's probably the word that um uh captures it the the best, uh, but also um, it's been um, invigorating at the same time. And so, um, with all the work that's been going on uh, on campus and all the demands of the job, um, the amount of support has been uh, amazing and um, surprising. You know, because there are very few communities in which you sort of begin a new life in and feel uh, this level of support. And uh, the sort of immediate sense of community um, is for for us has been unprecedented. Um, so, could I ask? Um, I'm interested in learning more about uh, so your personal relationship with mm-hmm. the school. Um, can you tell me more about your title as a visiting professor and yeah. um, what what that is like and what what it will be like uh, in the future? Sure, sure. Well, um, right now, what we're looking at is a uh, class that's going to be in the in the spring, and it's going to be part of a film series. And primarily what it's looking at is um, the iconography of culture and history in film and the ways in which uh, different filmmakers go about um, bringing those elements into their, into their projects. And so we'll have uh, visiting filmmakers coming in, uh, both folks in front of and behind the camera, and... Um, uh, we'll we'll do that series probably as a mini course. Um, can you tell me more about your journey uh, in that subject? Is is film something you um, have always been interested in, or have you done uh, work in that field in the past? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I like the way you asked that because usually people ask me about um, a- about this from a very like sort of scholarly standpoint, and and for me it's more like boyish curiosity. So I've always had interest in it uh, since I was a little boy. And uh, I've always loved film, loved movies. Uh, my last book was called The Cineast, and primarily because it's about um, being a moviegoer and someone who enjoys films. And sometimes they're high art, you know, auteur level films, and sometimes they're not. 
and um, being able to embrace um, all that in the genre. And I think that happens more in film than in literature. So in film, um, people will enjoy um, watching high art films by independent filmmakers. They'll go and they'll see a Bergman film, but then they'll also have an appreciation for a horror film. In literature, it doesn't often happen that way. That People are either kind of high art um, snobs about the literature, uh, and they don't always venture into genre uh, writing and uh, and reading, you know, um, mysteries or even romance or something like okay, that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but it can be just as much of a, an art form as any of the high art uh, literary uh, works that we might um, enjoy. Okay, awesome. And so that, um, have you done, uh, I guess, similar work in terms of, uh, like either teaching or, or research or anything with film in the past before this? Uh, sure, class. sure. So years ago, when I was in my MFA program for um, creative writing, I was actually doing a lot of freelance film work in the D.C. area um, and, and working, um, um, just just doing a lot of the sort of um, production assistant work that, that people do and like holding boom mics and things like yeah. that. Uh, for a company called the Ye- Yellow Cat Productions, which was primarily just a, um, I shouldn't say just, but it was actually a um, uh, industrial video uh, production house. Okay. Um, and then I also did work uh, writing these very bad scripts for uh, a company called Cerebellum that did this series on PBS called No Brainers. It was kind of like um, trying to, to create dummies uh, or or um, idiots guides uh, visually on on television. So it was a, a series on PBS. Um, but I also studied film. I uh, studied film at NYU, uh, Vancouver Film School, which is what I was asking. Yeah. Oh, right. uh, for those who can't see, he has a Quebec uh, sweatshirt on. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so I was I was wondering about that. Um, and then also I, I have an MFA in film from the uh, Vermont College of Fine Arts. You can listen to A. Van Jordan's full interview on WICB.org. That's all we have for you tonight on this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories online, and if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, subscribe to us on the iTunes podcast store. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, our station manager, Alex Bredekin, news director, Peter Champelli, and our correspondents, Sarah Horbakowitz, Jade Hazard, Elena Peach, Bridget Bright, and Hannah Bracinger. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, hailing from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful week. I'm Amanda Chin, and you've been listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.